Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Media. Welcome back to It Could Happen Here. This is Garrison Davis. This episode is part two of a conversation that myself and James Stout had with some of the contributors to a book by AK Press titled No Passeron. It's an anti-fascist anthology that talks about the modern anti-fascist movement and some of the writer's own experiences with anti-fascism. So, We'll pick up our conversation basically right where we left off, talking about the modern state of anti-fascism. Anti-fascists and like, you know, the left, quote unquote, in general right now is kind of in a weird place. Um, you know, like a lot of people were, you know, extremely kind of catalyzed after after Charlottesville. And that led to a like massive resurgence of, of anti-racist action, anti-fascist action. And I think the the quote unquote like Antifa movement of the 20 teens like was is a probably one of the largest like politically radicalizing forces for people especially people my age people a little bit older um it's you know it's very influential in what the kind of the modern like anarchist or you know left you know scene is and there's like there's a lot of positive parts of that there's also you know there's some some drawbacks for that as well um kind of one one kind of recurring thing is that like when your only tool is a hammer, then everything is a nail. And there's certain elements of of like and and this like Antifa notion or, or like people who like grew up with with like anti-fascism being their primary kind of uh, mode of praxis, then they, it can be very easily turned horizontally. Um, but you know, it's after a, after J six after after Biden's been inaugurated, we have had this very weird lull 
but there's still been, you know, a lot of fascist mobilization. But the, the sort of response to it that, you know, was very normalized in 2018 has has definitely shifted. We, we've seen like, you know, the one thing that's been new is like you like you mentioned regarding, you know, Charlottesville, there was a lot of like debate around if people should show up armed. We now have like the drag time story hour kind of d defense, like uh, armed defenses with John Brown gun clubs becoming more popular. But you know, the one one kind of recurring things that everyone's kind of been talking about. It I, I've been I've been hearing like there's so many parallels to, for what we've been going through the past like five ten years to other kind of things in the past, like well, all of the John Brown anti Klan committee stuff. There's just a lot of cyclical notions. I mean, even I'm here in Atlanta right now. There's this Rico grand jury indictment. Um, everyone's thinking about like green scare stuff. Even mm -hmm. even John Brown anti Klan committee did grand jury resistance back in like the eighties. Like it's this this these things have happened before. Um, and I think one thing that you know the quote unquote left or anti fascists sometimes are kind of bad at is actually passing down the history. There's this tendency that when people get involved, we're, we're kind of forced to reinvent the wheel every time. But it's like completely uh, like unnecessary. But we we tend to just keep trying the same things over and over again. So there's even people younger than me who weren't even old enough to get involved in anti-fascist stuff in like 2017, 2018. And they're now kind of growing up. There's still this fascist mobilization. You know, liberals are kind of passive because they have their guy in the White House. And we're going to be reaching a really interesting tipping point in 2024. So for these types of people who are like either wanting to get involved or who are like just, just starting to realize that, hey, maybe we should actually do something about all this stuff, especially as, you know, trans existence is one of the main things under attack right now. What, what is kind of some like lessons from the past that you would like to be passed down to people? A couple of things that come to mind. Uh, I was reminded uh, because James is in San Diego about, uh, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about at all is the border. And that's been a recurrent theme of the right and of the state, both in terms of building, uh, you know, a repressive apparatus uh, so nice, going yeah. back to, uh, you know, uh, the, the early uh, days of uh, People Against Racist Terror, which is the group that I had in L.A. after uh, John Brennan Anti-Clan Committee left, one of the first actions we did uh, was there was something called American Spring at the Mexican border, which was a neo-fascist element. It, it kind of grew out of the previous Klan border watch that uh, uh, David Duke had done. And they were trying to, uh, you know, build up a base of support for, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, close the borders. And uh, so we did bring people from L.A. And, and joined up with people in San Diego. And actually at one of those rallies, somebody drove a car at and nearly hit someone from the, the, the uh, you know, the anti-fascist forces. So I, I think that's an important piece of uh, uh, we should be thinking about. The other thing in terms of, of uh, killings and shootings, uh, you know, uh, somebody from the Red Nation was just shot in, in Albuquerque. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, again, the question of indigenous sovereignty and indigenous rights is, is a leading edge of struggle. A lot of the struggles around missing and murdered indigenous women have to do with the, you know, uh, fossil fuel industry and, and, and in the back and other places where, you know, women have disappeared and been killed by, uh, you know, uh, people in, in the fossil fuel industry, basically. And I, I think bringing all that to bear is really critical to have the breadth of consciousness and the and, and the understanding that there is a global struggle that's going on and indigenous people in particular are part of that about the 
survival of humanity and, and of the planet in a sense and to situate anti-fascist struggle in that context i think is really really important and relates to who are our allies who are our leadership where is the struggle being led by and so uh you know one of the things we uncovered here in la is that the people involved in the militia movement started their operations by supporting christian militias in guatemala and the philippines attacking left forces in those countries and indigenous forces in those countries and uh you know uh, having that global perspective i think that's one of the really great strengths of the book by the way that i thought was really amazing is is the coverage of anti-fascist movements all around the world and you know the anti-fascists in india and so on and and uh, having that sense that it's not just uh you know people of european descent or uh, you know african americans in the united states who are opposed to fascism but there's a very very broad uh, you know, movement around the world and in, inside this country of people who are experiencing fascism literally all the time uh, that, you know, gives a strength to anti-fascism. There is an exceptionalism that exists even in the left, an American exceptionalism that exists even in the American left um, when it comes to how bad things are, how good we are at organizing or whatever. And I think that a lot of the times, one of the things that we often forget is that we are not the only people going through this, um, both in time and space. Right? There's movements that are going on elsewhere um, that are facing a much deeper sort of repression than what we see in the United States, um, and they are still finding ways to organize. I like to, do, you know, when we talk about like the attack on queer rights and you know things like. Um, all of these hateful laws that are being passed, um, which will almost certainly be thrown out in the courts, and that's, you know, it's going to be a couple of years, but, um, you know, people are saying, well, this is going to make pride illegal, and this is, you know, this is the worst thing. This is like, you know, a step towards genocide and all of that stuff, and I think it's actually important for us to put things in perspective. Istanbul has a much um, stricter set of restrictions on Queer organizing, queer demonstrations. Pride happens every year. Pride is attacked by cops every year. They still continue to persist. What can we learn as Americans from that movement? Um, I think that's a really important thing for the American anti-fascist scene um, to really start to, to, to think around and try to take this moment. As, as you mentioned, there's a lull that is happening now, um, both in the organizing and in the, the popular support. We need to take that moment to reflect on what is working, what is not, to regroup and to find new approaches, new tactics. Um, this is something that I write about in, in the chapter I wrote on, on um, transient fascism, right? We need to like, we need to absolutely bring in historical contexts and comparative analyses into our um into into what we're doing but that does not mean that we need to say that everything is literally the holocaust what we need to do is look at what are the factors what are the causes what are the root causes of the things that are happening and how can we strategically organize to disrupt and to bypass um those forces so i think it's really important to have that multifaceted perspective i think that emily has touched on something that uh it's really important when we say that the police are being are attacking uh, pride events, pride marches and such um, that suggests that. Somebody initiated something on our side. 
that speaks to what it is we have to do. We have to initiate certain actions. We cannot keep waiting for the fascists. We can't keep waiting. We can't keep being reactive. We do have to go on the offense. I mean, that's one of the reasons why um, myself, uh, me and others have been um, so successful is because we don't wait for the fascists to do something. We do something to them before they make a move. And uh, and we know when to do it because they basically send the signals out courtesy of their free speech that they want to do something. And we just take those cues and say, okay, here's how we are going to go forward. We're going to let people know about you. We're going to let people know how to keep you at bay. I mean, that's the kinds of things that uh, we need to do. We need to just basically say we are establishing this institution. We are establishing the security around this institution. And you are not going to be able to breach this institution. The other thing that we do need to do in that uh, while we build that is also make it clear to some of those that, for lack of a better term, are wishy-washy on the subject, are more or mainstreamers and liberals and such who who are quick to defend the fascists that they say they don't believe in before they defend us. We got to start telling them to chill and we got to start telling them to um, pick a side and, and stop getting in everybody's way. Stop being a bulwark because you're too cowardly to um put up this fight or you're too interested in protecting your other interests as opposed to being concerned about what's coming down the pike. The book starts off with a discussion about a three-way fight. We definitely are in one. Do you want to explain what a three-way fight is? Well, a three-way fight is not only you're dealing with, you know, the obvious enemy, so to speak, but you're also dealing with those that are hesitant to do something about that enemy to the point that they will fight you more. <laughs> to the point that they will fight you more. And and frankly, it's frustrating. It is a frustrating thing, but it is there and it has been there throughout history. And I mean, even the, I mean, I'm surprised I'm actually um, referencing a Mel Gibson movie, but even the movie Braveheart brought that up. Now, I don't I don't think that we need to smack people upside the head with a mace. But by the same token, we do have to let people know that we do have to be a little bit more, I should say, assertive in our efforts as we go forward and basically try to route this um this particular fascist element and and assertive means blowing past those that are supposed to be on our side i mean because i was thinking about the fact that this is now the 12th anniversary of occupy right and occupy was trying to do that Occupy is still trying to do that in many respects. The folks that were in Occupy, um, but some of the folks, because what you also saw um, at Occupy were a lot of folks who thought that they will be able to take advantage of the progress that um, we were making in in this effort and turned it into a more fascist thing. I mean, I was just looking at a lot of the uh, characters that come out of Occupy that went to the went to the fascist side. And when you look at who they are, you realize that you had a whole bunch of um, 
opportunists that were within our ranks that were looking for something totally different than what the rest of us. We were looking out for each other and Occupy. The true people that were dealing with Occupy Wall Street were looking out for each other in our communities. These guys just thought, hey, perfect opportunity to just say that we're one with them and drag them over here to the right. That's strasserism. That's straight up strasserism. But, But when you look at it even further, it's just a bunch of people that only cared about themselves ultimately. And we've seen it year after year after year in this fight. So I think that um, it's going to be very important to build and protect our institutions and recognize what it is we are protecting them from. And it's not hard. We have shown over and over and over again that we are prepared to wage that kind of war. We just have to basically recognize it within ourselves when we have to do it. And that's just and and do not wait for people to die. I mean, Heather Heyer did not have to die. No one in January 6th, regardless of how I feel about any of them, had to die. That should not be the thing that we should respond to. We already know what to do. We just need to do it. Yeah, I think you're picking up on a lot of what everyone said, uh, especially Michael, I think part of what gets out here is having a place for like broad social movements where they're able to interact with one another and support one another. So anti-fascist movements as a defensive movement have often been essential to actually operating other kinds of organizing. You know, so like when I was working with houseless encampments and we were doing food, not bombs and stuff, you get attacked by far right groups. You had to have a defensive element. There was no other choice. Same thing. I've been at union offices that were attacked by the far right. You have to have that defensive element. And then on the same token, we're talking about mass actions against far right demonstrations. It requires people that are coming probably from all kinds of political backgrounds, but they've gotten involved from different kinds of practices. We're having mutual aid networks that support people getting there, sustaining themselves there, medical care, all kinds of component pieces. So those things require that kind of back and forth. And I think that also begs to how do you get people in? There's like, we are talking about a lot of problems with people on like the moderate left, not kind of taking those next steps, those defensive steps that are necessary, but also how do we find a pathway for them in? You know, if we're talking about mass participation in something, if, if we're talking about like a revolutionary movement with huge masses of people, we have to figure out what those pathways for people are and giving them access to them. Um, and I think also moving past what we've thought of as the far right before, I mean, people have talked about this a little bit, you know, a lot of what we think of as recent anti-fascism was built around fighting the alt-right and other kind of recent short-term projects. And what we have now is just radically different, just like it will be in a few years. And so having a deep kind of intersectional understanding of how that works, because when you do that, you have that kind of natural understanding of where this is going to show up again, how it might interact with different communities and what role it places for you. How are you able to interact with it as this person coming into a social movement? Yeah, I mean, especially considering something I've been kind of watching and we're, we're seeing a little bit of it with this with this set of Republican primaries is that we have an incoming new wave of kind of Gen Z and millennial uh, Republicans who grew up in the alt-right era who are now bringing that sort of like alt-right street politics to electoralism. And how that's going to be opposed is going to be you know, I, I I was just talking about before how we shouldn't just try to like retread the same ground over and over again without learning the histories from the past. But like this for a lot of people who who have just been doing like street politics the past few years, figuring out how they're going to oppose like fascism in this much more like electoral uh, setting is going to be an interesting shift. Because, yeah, 
you can like punch Richard Spencer and no one really cares too much. But if you punch someone like, you know, DeSantis, that that is going to be a, a, a different thing to kind of sort through. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think that is kind of one of these shifts that, you know, maybe maybe coming up here soon and whatever kind of evolves on the anti-fascist side to kind of meet that is going to be interesting to watch and take part in. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, part of the ARA analysis has always been that fascism is built from above and below. And I think we really have to understand that, that the not, uh, fascism is not only a factor of the street politics and the people who declare themselves to be fascist, but that there are fascist elements in the structure of this society and there are fascist elements in power in this government right now. And, uh, you know, fascism has come to power in quite a number of you know, in Italy, uh, this neo-fascist yeah. is the prime minister. In in you know, uh, in the United States, uh, Matt Gates and and that element has a clear. You know, they're in power within the Republican Party. They 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 control the House of Representatives, in, in a way. And I I think that that's a critical understanding. But also, uh, it, it speaks to the fact that fascist uh, practices and elements exist in a lot of different places. And I think one of the things I've always tried to put out to people is that uh, this is an aspect of the nature of imperialism, settler colonialism, and I, I want to emphasize that because I think it, it, it there's a fractal character to what we're dealing with or holographic. In other words, any element of this society that you attempt to uh, deal with, you're actually facing the entirety of imperialism and fascism uh, there. So if you look at the labor movement right now, labor has a big resurgence, particularly here in Southern California. There's just been 
you know, the hotel workers and restaurant workers on strike, the screen actors is on strike, the writers guild on strike. And the fact that there, you know, the, <laughs> there is a fascist element to the employment structure and trying to organize it. You know, if you look what happened with the Amazon union or, or just the fact that again, going back in history, uh, you know, the Taft Hartley act was written to criminalize, uh, uh, you know, communists and also solidarity with the labor movement and outlaw, uh, you know, solidarity strikes. And and th that's fascist. <laughs> that is, you have to understand that. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons that the Puerto Rican independence movement attacked Congress was that the U.S. attempted to uh, put the Taft-Hartley Act into uh, practice against the labor movement in Puerto Rico. And uh, the, the Nationalist Party said, no, we're going to counterattack. Um, so I, I think that that's a really critical understanding. I, I, I think we started out talking about the prisons and, you know, uh, there's nothing more fascist than prison. And one of the things they do in prison is they use privilege to try to divide the prisoners, you know, and we haven't talked much about privilege and how it operates in the society, but, you know, it's a key factor in how people are, are uh, uh, organized by the system to uh, collaborate, to, uh, you know, uh, uh, get along by going along. And uh, so, but even inside the prisons, we've seen here in California and elsewhere, in, uh, you know, Alabama, Georgia, elsewhere, prisoners are able to organize under conditions of fascism that exist in the prisons. They have ways to communicate with each other. They've built interracial solidarity in many cases. So I think those are examples of anti-fascism that we need to embrace and understand the same way that people, organ you know, if you're organizing a, a, a union, you're operating on a certain level clandestinely because if you're open about it, you're going to get fired and uh, they're going to retaliate and they're going to, anybody you talk to is going to get fired. So we need to have an understanding of ways to organize that are not always, uh, I'm not talking about an armed struggle, but I'm saying that people have to organize below the radar when you're dealing with fascism, especially when it's in power. And fascism isn't a power in a lot of sectors of the society right now. And people are dealing with it as uh, Emily said about, you know, uh, Istanbul and, and pride marches, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I think we need to make those connections into the labor movement, into the prison movement, into the, you know, formerly incarcerated people's movement, uh, you know, the solidarity with indigenous struggles that are going on against fascistic colonization of their lands and, and, and struggles. And I, I think that if we understand that that's an aspect of anti-fascism, I think it actually strengthens uh, what we're engaged in. Definitely. I think it's also important just to like, um, I guess, if people are thinking about their organizing and it's always important to hear from those struggles as well as, you know, to, to, to include them, but to, to really include them in a sense of like listening and learning from rather than sort of telling uh, and saying this is like a, a cishet white guy. Uh, it's definitely a thing that I've perceived in the movement in the last few years is a desire to, to, to speak a little more and listen a little less and one thing I enjoyed about your book is that when we talk about fascism and uh, we'd already mentioned, Michael's mentioned the border as a sort of a location for fascist experiments within the United States, which I think it's very hard to argue against living on the border. Like if you protested in 2020 against police violence, you were surveilled using technology that has been used for years where I live and against migrants and citizens who live here. But um, I really liked your perspective on like looking at global fascisms um, because fascism is 
it's very easy to spend too much time defining fascism, especially as anti-fascist, right? Like it's extremely easy to be like, it's not fascism unless it comes from the fascia region of Italy, kind of like this like cheese or champagne definition of fascism. Uh, but they like they focused on, for instance, fascism in India. Like if I go to the border, I was at the border uh, a couple of days ago, right? There, there are tons of Punjabi Sikh people uh, camped out in the desert right now because Border Patrol are, are holding them in an open-air concentration camp, essentially, because of what's happening in India, that they, they turn up here, right? And as well as bringing sort of migrant um, detention resistance and migrant mutual aid into anti-fascism, I think it's important that anti-fascists also, like, we can take concrete action to protect and, uh, like, to care for victim uh, survivors of fascism, I guess, people who have fled fascism. Uh, and, like, when I think about what my background in the study of the Spanish Civil War, right, that, that's what my PhD is about. Um, the thing that radicalized young, uh, often Jewish men growing up in the same part of, of New York that you did was often seeing people fleeing fascism coming to their communities and then being like, we can't allow that not only to not happen here, but the crucial step that like, we can't allow that to happen anywhere uh, and that that being what kind of motivated them to um to travel to spain and many of many of them died fighting in the spanish civil war right but i think we could do better to do that as well uh like now i know not all of us are, are living in the united states right now but uh sometimes like emily said american anti-fascism can be very exceptionalist or whatever but i think that we have so much to learn from anti-fascists in um you know, my, my sort of formative experiences were in Catalonia and Spain, but also in India, mm -hmm. uh, also in Russia, right? Um, and I wonder uh, if if anyone could share, like, sort of, I guess, concrete ways that people listening uh, can help to expand that solidarity into, like, an international anti-fascism. I think there's a, an interesting example, and it gets to what Michael was stressing about fascism being kind of colonial rule brought back to mm -hmm. homeland. You know, um, a lot of the methods that were used against kind of mid-century anti-fascist organizers, for example, the Anti-Nazi League or later Anti-Fascist Action in the UK were basically test run against Irish Republicans in Northern Ireland, yeah. right? So yeah. those uprisings, different kind of methods of crowd control, use of uh, quote-unquote non-lethal weapons, different kinds of forms of incarceration then used later against the anti-Nazi league. So there's sort of a step they're taking this colonial rule back home. That's the testing ground and then using it domestically. And I think what that actually does is create a certain bridge between two communities that there's now a point of connection where they can relate. It doesn't mean they're in the same situation, right? Like it doesn't mean that like someone protesting in the United States is in the same situation. Mm -hmm. As someone in a colonized space, but having that shared system that actually binds us together in that sense of solidarity, that's a new model of safety. That's a new model of community. So it's now seeing my strength in that alignment with someone else. So connecting with communities internationally, learning from what they're doing, but making real connections between them, ones that have a real sense of weight between them, where someone's success in international social movement has real effect on your lives and back and forth. I think committing to that is actually the, the kind of biggest thing we can do that creates an international movement and it makes everyone stronger, everyone more effective. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think one of the strengths of uh, anti-racist action was that it was always an international organization. It was U.S. and Canada, and there were a lot of chapters in Canada, and that really helped break uh, some of the you know U.S. exceptionalism uh, understanding. But you also had corresponding organizations. There was Resistencia Redskin in, in uh, Colombia, in uh, Bogota, and, and a couple of Cali, I think. And uh, you know, I, I think that that really is an important element. And and again, what I said is that we need to understand that uh, you know, similar to what uh, Lenin said about the so uh, Russian Empire, that is a prison house of nations, that there are captive nations inside the borders of the United States, and that you know, indigenous sovereignty and uh, you know, Puerto Rican independence and you know, Hawaiian sovereignty and a lot of other issues. And I, I think those are things that uh, you know, the fascists try to. Uh, exploit also, uh, you know, they present themselves, you know, fascism presents itself in the third world as a strategy for, you know, national independence within the Japanese, you know, empire. But it's still forward. It was the, the uh, you know, they, they presented themselves as being opposing uh, British and U.S. Uh, imperialism in Asia, you know, that, and, uh, you know, then they were imposing their own imperialism. But, you know, that, that internationalist element, I think, is really critical. And, you uh, uh, I, th I think the same thing in, in, in labor. I think that the labor movement, you know, needs in this country needs to think about, uh, uh, you know, prison struggles as part of the labor movement. It needs to think about the international solidarity with labor struggles elsewhere. One of the things I raised with uh, in relation to the, uh, uh, the Screen Actors Guild and Writers Guild here is that you know they raised this whole thing about artificial intelligence. And I don't know if people are aware, but uh, artificial intelligence depends on. Uh, tens of thousands of people in the Philippines and elsewhere that are working, uh, you know, uh, as uh, gig workers uh, processing stuff to put it into artificial intelligence. And uh, you know, uh, uh, the same thing you're saying about the border, the the um, the technology of uh, uh, self-driving vehicles is based on the same technology they're using to, uh, you know, for uh, motion detection on the border. And, uh, you know, and the reason they're doing that is also because the, the people driving self-driving vehicles is not just Google and uh, Uber, but it's the U.S. Army Tank Division, which wants to have automated uh, uh, self-driving tanks the same way they have drones. And uh, having that understanding that it is you're up against the global system and the fascists are a piece of that, but they're not the only piece of that, I think is really, really critical to understanding what we have to deal with. We talk about... You know, what would a fascist government look like if it was in control, you know, full control with no opposition? I think there are plenty of examples of that. And there's a fascist war happening right now in Ukraine. Um, and I think that there's so much that we can learn um, from what is going on there that oftentimes I think that as anti-fascists, we find ourselves wanting to be with the left, that we get um, into a political situation that gets muddled. Um, I went to the border twice in Ukraine um, when the war broke out. I would relive Unite the Right a hundred times before I had to go back to that again. Um, we don't understand scales until you have seen it, until you've seen the hundred or the thousand yards there from hundreds of people, you know, pouring over the border. I'm sure, um, James, you're, you're, you're very familiar with this, with the border work that you're doing. Uh, there. Th these things are so often distant and abstract to us that we we lose sight that we think that we can influence things um, within our own spaces that will then have an impact on these bigger um, 
bigger systems and we can't, right? So I think that, you know, to go back to, you know, what would be the call of action? You know, what would I want the listener to take, take away from this? I think that this is about, as somebody said earlier, listen, listen more and, and speak less, right? Try to read, try to, to see what people elsewhere are doing, how they are organizing, what their needs are. Um, you know, how do we do mutual aid in earthquake and flood stricken areas? How do we do mutual aid um, for refugees who are fleeing a war and things like that? There's just so, so much out there that we need to to bring into perspective. And if you think that you can fix any of it or even just a small part of it simply through speaking up or, or you know, awareness campaigns, I think that you're misled. So I think my call to action is um, go out, read books, meet people, get off of Twitter. It's grass for me to say it, but the master's tools can't dismantle the master's house, right? We can't keep this pattern of outrage cycles up in order to move the issue forward. We have to come up with something new. My challenge to people is to um, put your brains together and figure out what that news is going to look like. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Maybe that's where we could end. Actually, is is with each of you suggesting like something, like like Emily has just done, right? Something to read, something to do, and an action to take that could concretely sort of help us oppose and rebuff and and push back against fascism. I think it was pretty much going back to what I was um saying earlier that it will begin when we take the bull by the horns. It will begin whenever we decide that 
we are going to establish this. I mean, it goes back, you know, I, I grew up with hip hop. Um, I was in the punk scene. Both those, both those genres, both those cultures were created by people who, by those who didn't um, see, say, the mainstream listening to them. So they said, you know what? We don't need them. We need to just go ahead and do what we need to do so we can benefit what it is we want to do. And that's the attitude that we got to have. We got to have that hip hop attitude. got to have that punk attitude. And we just simply got to build the institutions that will address the situation. And I will say it again. That's what Occupy was about. I think um, we need to continue to learn the lessons from Occupy in order to go forward. And once we start doing that, first of all, when we do that, we're going to see, again, uh, people trying to um, either co-op or or take it down. And we got to also protect ourselves from from that as well. I mean, I know I'm repeating what I had said earlier, but I think that the solutions and I, you know what what I didn't say? I think the solutions are already being um, implemented. I think that we are all have been working and doing this. Um, folks that aren't on this, um, folks that aren't on this podcast, folks that um, would never be on any podcast are just basically putting their time in to make sure that um, that things are done properly. I just got, I just saw on the news that they had uh, in Delaware, they just passed a law against, um, I guess, what, what they call panic, um, panic killings. In regards to the LGBTQ community, uh, you know, the what they yeah, used like, to call back in the day, the gay the, panic thing. Gay panic, they actually, trans panic defense. Yeah. 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 Delaware became the 17th state, I believe, yesterday to um to make that illegal. It should have been illegal in the first place. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> but they basically and for those who don't know what that means, it, ge- it generally means you cannot kill somebody because you're freaked out over someone being gay. I mean, that's just basically what it is. Concern for it happened after um, Jenny Jones, uh, somebody expressed their feelings towards another man. And that person after the Jenny Jones show had murdered that person. And the killer, instead of getting first degree murder, got second degree murder because he used the gay panic defense. So people initially, that was where everything started and everybody was, um, saying that we got to do something about that. If it was not for us putting together the mechanisms and the institutions to basically basically voice our concerns, voice our issues, and say we got to do something about this, today would not have happened. It should not be 17 states, by the way. It should be all 50. Um, But that's the kind of things that we need to do. These are the things that it's all going to depend on us and how we react to things that um, is going to make all the difference in the world. So when everybody's ready, <laughs> let's rock and roll. <laughs> I, I think I'm really interested in getting people connected to social movements for their entire lives and seeing things through being really connected to communities. And I think that's about looking about where people fit in where they feel comfortable building those relationships because it happens both at the kind of local and national, international scale. So finding, I think, a piece and pathway for folks. I mean, right now, I think 
considering what we're dealing with with climate and economic collapse, mutual aid networks are an absolute essential mm -hmm. piece of that. So is the labor movement. Um, and going where the far right is having their front lines, making our defensive front lines. So, for example, in defense of trans health care, against anti-trans legislation and defense of uh, queer events like Drag Queen Story Hour. That's absolutely important. And we have those relationships now. So it's about sort of finding a place to be able to reproduce those social movements and grow them. And again, like Daryl said, people are doing that. And I think like as there are shifts, people have to kind of redefine that a little bit. But having that adaptability is what we've kind of learned over this rapidly changing environment the last few years. Yeah, I'll second that again to give people a little bit of a sense of the longer view. I think that the rise of the Christian right in this country has a lot to do with the destruction of the labor movement and the collapse of, of organized labor was uh, that vacuum was filled by, you know, the, the Christian right, uh, because the labor movement at one point did touch people throughout their lives uh, and their culture. And, and it was not just in, in your workplace, but it, it was a community organization. And I think that we have to rebuild that, uh, you know, from the bottom up. And it is happening. There's a lot of, you know, young people involved in labor organizing. I think that, uh, again, what I said earlier about the fractal nature of the system, I think one of the things people have to understand is anything they're trying to do they have an enemy. It's not just a problem that they're trying to face. They have, uh, uh, there is an enemy out there that is trying to enforce the system that we have as it collapses. And uh, I, I think that that's critical. So uh, yes, the mutual aid and the kind of things Emily was talking about, I think are critical. I think people are working on people's assemblies. I was at this dual power gathering in the Midwest and there was just one up in Portland recently. And I think that uh, the understanding that all the power and all the wealth that this system possesses is actually stolen from the people that it oppresses and exploits and that it's our power and it's our power to take it back. We have the creative power. I think that's critical and that their power is, is exploitive and, and power over an hour is the power, uh, you know, to create, I think that understanding and, and, and uh, that, that concept of solidarity. And I, I do think that, you know, again, Stephen Biko, uh, part of the black consciousness movement in South Africa said, the uh, you know the greatest weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the minds of the oppressed, and I think to the extent that we can uh, wage a struggle for a, a different consciousness that is not based on privilege and is not based on getting along by going along, is not based on individualism, uh, you know, but is based on collective solidarity, uh, and that actually disempowers the people that we're dealing with. And threatens them in ways that you know they're 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 freaked out. They they understand better than we do the the, the uh, tenuous nature of their power, and uh, you know the the reason for fascism, the turn to fascism, is that they want to try to intimidate people and uh, you know uh, you know break people people's solidarity up. And I think that that uh, you know we need to understand there's a dialectic there, and to the extent that we can uh, create those. Uh, uh, Connections between people it actually disempowers them, the fascists and and the state. Uh, you know, I have a different perspective on the three way fight. I think the three way fight is uh, versus the fascists. You know, the self declared fascists and against the state and the capitalist, the bourgeoisie. And uh, you know, they're not identical. They have contradictions with each other, and we can exploit those and drive wedges of our own. I think we have to find uh, wedge issues that that peel people off from their identification with the oppressor and with white supremacy and with imperialism and, uh, you know, uh, pull people together and then who've been, you know, uh, separated from that identification with the state and with white 
power and uh, bring them into solidarity with you know the global majority of people who are struggling for a, you know survival and a better world does anyone have anything to plug besides the book <laughs> yeah Oh, explicitly plug the books. I don't think we did. Like, uh, <laughs> like what? Where can you buy it? What's it called? Yeah, I I can plug in and do the uh, the self promotion. Um, so the book is No Passeron: Anti-Fascist Dispatches from a World in Crisis. So we all have chapters in it. I edited it. It's with AK Press, who listeners are probably familiar with. Um, so you can get it at AK Press. I always recommend folks go to AK Press and buy it directly if they can. But you can get it pretty much anywhere. Um, and it's a hefty read. It's about 500 pages, about 25 yeah. chapters, and it really covers the gamut. Some of the stuff we talked about, some stuff we didn't get to. Um, so it's a really good overview of some of the different yeah. conversations happening in the anti-fascist movement and hopefully where it goes in the future. Yeah, I'll second that. I think the chapter in anti-fascism in the black metal scene was really fascinating and, and you know, worth the price of the book all by itself. Honestly, the stuff about India. I, I did want to plug two other books I've been involved in. One is called The Blue Agave Revolution. It's self-published myself and uh, uh, Oso Blanco, an indigenous political prisoner. You can contact anti-racist actions, antiracist.org, or email me, antiracist underscore late yahoo.com. I was also involved with, although I did not edit or anything, but I contributed a lot of material to We Go Where They Go, which is from PM Press. It's the history of ARA. And it's chock full of incredible material about, you know, specificity. Uh, one of the things we didn't talk about ARA was involved in was Cop Watch, but, you know, just uh, a, a lot of, uh, you know, cultural material and other stuff there that's well worth reading. Well, I guess I'll, I'll chime in. I'd say um, I have uh, a lot of stuff out there right now. One of the um, things that you can look for it, with me is a documentary that was put out in 2018 called Alt-Right Age of Rage. It's somewhere online. I believe it's on Tubi right now. It was on Netflix. I found out that the reason why it's not on Netflix anymore is because Netflix has deemed it too political. So, uh, But you can still find it out there. It's a really good primer on um, basically what it is we're fighting in this current time. Um, we Don't Walk in Fear is the, is the latest documentary that I've been involved with. Some students in Villanova University wanted to do a documentary about me. And it's not exactly available to the public. Um, what I've been, um, you can probably find it at film festivals and things like that. But what I've been um, doing is showing it at various um, events that I've been invited to, um, whether it's some sort of um, speaking engagement or what have you. So it's only a half hour long. But um, if anybody's in a university or in a bookstore or whatever and would like me to come out and, um, show up uh, show the uh, documentary to folks and talk about it later um please feel free to give me um hit me up over at uh, our website onepeoplesproject.com um we also have a, a newsline that's idavox.com both are on threads and on ig uh we also have also the last thing that i would like to hype is also in 2018 there are there was the movie skin where Mike Coulter, who played Luke Cage and is in the TV show Evil, he plays me. It's about a uh, a, a neo-Nazi, someone from the Villander Social Club, one of the nastiest enforcers who got out, thanks to myself and others. And and it's a it's a beautiful story. 
and it's been out since 2018. The short film is a different story. I'm not going to say too much about it because I, um, you need to watch it. You can find it on YouTube or you can find the feature Amazon, um, feature skin on Amazon Prime, but you can find the, uh, they find a short film on YouTube. It actually won an Oscar in 2019. And I'm listed as a consulting producer, so I guess I have an Oscar. Uh, <laughs> and that's about it. I mean, if if you want me to speak, come to your uh, colleges or whatever to um, speak or show the documentary We Don't Walk in Fear, feel free to give me a ring. I'll be happy to see you. I love traveling. <laughs> like I mentioned, one other thing, actually, I did. we talked earlier, I, I'm the interim general manager of KPFK, 90.7 FM in, in Los Angeles. It's uh, one of the Pacifica radio stations. Uh, so it's kpfk.org. We have uh, Stop LABD Spying on the radio. We have It's Going Down on the radio. We have Society of Native Nations and American Indian Airwaves on the radio. We have uh, uh, La Raza uh, Radio, a lot of other very worthwhile. It's kpfk.org. And uh, we're in a current membership drive uh, for October. Everyone wants to join the station. They don't have to live in L.A. And uh, antiracist.org has about 35 years of turning the tide and a bunch of stuff actually from earlier. I, I put some of the stuff from Brother Reform from being an sexism that I worked on in the 70s up there, including a, a letter from uh, Michelle McGee, who was just recently released finally after, I think, 48 years in prison, uh, a survivor of the Marin Courthouse Rebellion. I don't have anything to plug. I have a book that um, I'm working on uh, getting representation for, but that's uh, still a little bit too early. Uh, for me to plug. So I'll just um, maybe um, plug a little bit of what is continuing to happen in Charlottesville uh, before we end. So uh, some of you may not be aware that um, criminal cases are still being brought against the neo-Nazis who marched with the Tiki torches. The, we have sort of successfully convinced the local uh, prosecutor um, to do something about these uh, fascists who have obviously uh, terrorize the community and continue to do it in their other communities. And um, whether or not uh, you agree with that approach, um, the community in Charlottesville and Albemarle still needs that support um, and that witnessing as this all um, heads to trial this uh, this winter, we're expecting um, some renewed fascist attention. So I'll just give a shout out for the community um, and ask for uh, your awareness. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, everyone. I think that was really instructive and interesting. Um, and yeah, everyone should read the book. Uh, I, I read much of it before we started today. It's great. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, thank you very much. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.